If you've got a Bible, get to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 11, looking at verses uh, 27 through 36 today. Have you ever gone down the one or d- gone down the wrong way on a one-way street? All right, have you done that? You raised your hand, yeah? That'll get the adrenaline going. That'll be a marriage builder for you, right? Especially with your little helper next to you, uh, helping you drive. All right, some of you get that joke, but, uh, but yeah, we've had some moments like that a couple times probably in Chicago or vacation where we're in an unknown place trying to figure out where to go. And uh, if you've ever been in one of those situations, you're trying to figure out how quickly you can get out of that situation. Uh, I've never been in the type of situation where I'm dodging cars or anything like that, but I, rather in the situation where you're, I'm trying to get turned around quick enough where no one notices that I just did that. I think some of you are trying to drive down the wrong way on the one-way street of the gospel. What do I mean by that? Well, there's a sequence or a progression to the good news of Jesus Christ and his gospel of of grace. You could say the sequence is this. We hear and receive the good news that Jesus was born of a virgin, lived the perfect life, died for sins, which he had committed none, died for our sins, rose again on the third day, and through faith alone in him, we can be saved. And so we hear the gospel, we receive its truth as a gift, and we are changed, saved, justified before a holy God through faith alone, by grace alone, Jesus pursued us first. In Christ, we see kindness, mercy, compassion on display. We are changed. We have a new identity now in Jesus, new heart that is tender toward the Lord and His Spirit's work. We now then live the rest of our lives post-conversion and salvation. We live the rest of our lives seeking to worship and love the Lord who has saved us. And so we obey His Word. Another way to say it is we keep His Word. We don't disregard it or set aside the grace that has saved us, but rather because that grace has saved us, it's changed us, it's put a new desire in our hearts to live for Him and no longer for ourselves. We worship Him now as a way of life. And then finally, on this one-way street, this progression, if you will, the next step is we shine Jesus. We show up Jesus. There is a gospel difference to our way of life. For instance, the fruit of the Spirit begins to be evident. People, starting with those closest to us, but people start to see virtues and actions in our lives like faithfulness and goodness, patience, self-control. They start to see Christ-like qualities like humility and love and generosity. Our life is now marked by good works that we pray will bring our Father praise, not ourselves, For he is the one who's prepared those good works and now has empowered us with the Spirit to walk them out, live them out. So this gospel progression looks like this. We hear the good news, we keep and obey his word, and then we shine Jesus as a way of life. Maybe another way to say it is inwardly we are changed by his Spirit and truth, and then outwardly our life in a progressing manner aligns with the word of God, and as a result, our life now serves as an outward witness to the people around us who have yet to put their faith and trust in Jesus. It is a one-way street or progression. And again, I think many of us are trying to drive down this one-way street the wrong way. And what I mean by that is you're believing a gospel of works, thinking that you are saved and accepted by what you do or what you 
don't do. So you're living as if the progression is this. Okay, try to be moral and good on the outside. Get your life together, whatever in the world that means. And then that somehow will lead to this inward change in your heart and life. So do this outward stuff to bring inward healing, peace, change, transformation. So in a sense, you're living with this progression. Perform for God. Get accepted by God by your performance. But then what happens? You realize that if you're going to stay saved, then you better keep up the performance in order to remain accepted. And it becomes like driving down a crowded one-way street the wrong way. And you're trying to dodge all these cars coming at you. It's exhausting. Some days you're terrified that you're going to blast into yet another car and mess up. Other days you're puffing up with pride and self-righteousness thinking you're Jason Bourne, like, I'm awesome. How, look how good I am. Look how good I'm performing. And either extreme, whether we're terrified, fearful, self-condemning, or we're puffing up with arrogance and pride, either way we're trying to drive down this one-way street the wrong way. I think some of us grew up thinking this way. Maybe you saw it in your parents or the church that you attended or you saw it in religious people around you who were either friends or acquaintances or family members. Some of you are still thinking this way. And I love that you're here because I pray the Spirit would remind you of the gospel of God's grace. This false gospel of works, this idea of perform, get accepted, and then keep up the performance, it is enslaving. It leads to all sorts of dysfunction, whether it's overwhelming self-righteousness or hiding and retreating when you blow it or this constant fear of being condemned. The good news of Jesus is always inward to outward, one-way street. We hear and receive the truth that Jesus died for sinners while we were still sinning. We respond in faith and repentance. We walk in a new way as a result And we begin to live by his word. And as a result, we reveal Jesus who is the light of the world. We shine his light through our way of life. This is the progression that Jesus is following here in Luke 11, in this passage. He's calling the crowd to not only hear his words, but keep them, live by them. He's going to give a warning to those who don't, who are blind to who he is, the savior of the world And then at the end, he gives a parable that helps illustrate this whole picture. When we hear and keep the word of God, it leads to light. When we disregard Jesus and his word, it leads to darkness. The context of Luke 11, we were here a couple weeks ago. Jesus has delivered a man from demon possession. And some of the crowd is asking for more signs. They're saying, in a sense, encore, Jesus, show us another miracle. And yet the Lord... Jesus knows that another sign will lead this crowd to actually belief and trust in him. They're blind to who he is. And into this context, Jesus continues to teach. Verse 27, starting in the, uh, uh, in the CSB translation. As he was saying these things, a woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the one who nursed you. He said, Rather, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So a woman shouts from the crowd, a spontaneous crying out, saying, in a sense, Jesus, you're amazing. Your mother is so blessed. 
She's so blessed and favored by God to be your mom, all of which is true. So by saying rather in verse 28, Jesus is not saying his mother is not blessed, nor is Jesus rebuking this woman for crying out and calling this out in the crowd. Rather, he's saying the greater, more important blessing from God comes to those who hear his words and keep them. Yes, Mary is blessed to be his mom. But the greater blessing comes to those who hear his teachings of truth and actually live by them, build their life on them as their foundation. Jesus is in the midst of the crowd and he's saying, I want people to respond to my ministry and mission. That's the blessed life. The blessed life is not just hearing the word and thinking, that sounds nice, that sounds good. The blessed life is actually letting that word lead to change, lead to action. As James talks about, that we don't want to just be hearers of the word, we want to be doers of it. That's the blessed life. Throughout the years of ministry, I've noticed that some folks just want to say, oh, I love Jesus, I love Jesus. But then there's no visible evidence in their way of life that actually says, I love Jesus, and I bow to Jesus, and I submit to Jesus as my loving authority. This is what Christ himself is talking about in Luke 6 when he says, starting in verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the destruction of that house was great. The point of the Christian life is not to, Amen, Jesus! Shout Jesus' name. Oh, I love Jesus. And then the rest of your life is marked by disregarding His commands. The point of the Christian life is to, I worship Jesus and my way of life reveals that because he's changed me inward to outward. I follow Jesus and I'm growing to be more and more like him by his grace, by his spirit, by his word. And as a result, I shine, I reflect Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Biblically speaking, that's the blessed life. Listen to how the psalmist says it in Psalm 1, how it aligns here with what Jesus is saying in Luke 11. He writes, how happy or blessed is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. When we hear and keep the word, we are blessed. When we delight in the Lord's instruction and meditate on it and chew on it day in and day out, our, our lives bear fruit. Our lives are watched over by a good and gracious Father. The blessed life is not necessarily tied to glorious external circumstances. 
is financial provision or a healthy body evidences of his blessing? Of course. You bet it is. James tells us that every good gift is from the Father above, but the Bible speaks of, of, of the blessed life as so much greater than circumstances. It's to be at peace with the Lord. It's to experience His peace in the midst of a trial. To know the Lord and to be known by Him, no matter how your life is trending, whether it's upward or downward. In Matthew 5, as Jesus teaches on the Beatitudes and, and what it looks like, to th- this blessed life, He includes times of persecution and grieving. So the blessed life is deeper than health and wealth. The the blessed life is deeper than circumstances. And we want it to be deeper because the foundation is found on hearing and keeping the word. So there's a promise of blessing, but at the same time here, there's a warning that it is possible to hear the word and not keep it or obey it. And Jesus now turns to the crowd who's currently ignoring his words, blind to him, asking for more signs. And he's going to take them to two Old Testament examples of people who did hear the word and it led them to repentance and faith. Verse 29, as the crowds were increasing, he began saying this generation is an evil generation. It demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, So also the Son of Man will be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And look, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with with this generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's preaching. And look, something greater than Jonah is here. The entire Old Testament, it points us forward to Jesus Christ, the coming Messiah. It foreshadows and prophesies of Jesus. And if there's a continual refrain in the Old Testament, it is that Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. Where the Old Testament people fall short, Jesus will fulfill. Jesus is the better Adam. He will face temptation but not fall into it. Jesus is the better Noah, the better King David, and so forth. And here we see Jesus references the story of Jonah and the Ninevites and the Queen of the South and Solomon. And in each of them, Jesus is saying, I am better. The Lord used Jonah as a sign to the Ninevite people to reach them. Jesus is now the sign to this generation. Solomon was the wisest person on the planet, and yet Jesus is wiser. He is wisdom personified. Jonah and Solomon came with authority, and yet Jesus comes with all authority in heaven and on earth. And yet, even though Jesus is greater, this Israelite crowd is missing him. His greatness and goodness is right before them in the flesh, and they're demanding more from him before thinking that will convince them. Their eyes are dark to the light of the world that is right in front of them. And so Jesus references these two stories because... They tell of the Lord saving people, specifically Gentiles, who did not miss what was in front of them. Their eyes were illuminated, if, the, if you will. They heard the word, and they responded in faith. Jonah was a prophet of God who didn't want to reach the Ninevites. When the Lord called him to go, Jonah went all right, but he went in the other direction, literally, geographically, the opposite direction, ran the other way. 
the Lord uses a fish to swallow Jonah for three days, three nights, spits him out onto dry land. That three days in the belly of the fish, in the darkness of the fish, foreshadows, points us forward to Jesus in the darkness of the tomb. And then walking out on the third day, Jesus is greater. And so Jonah gets spit out. He ends up going, albeit reluctantly, to the Ninevite people to warn them of God's judgment to come. Jonah's message of grace and truth was one sentence long, as far as we know. I've exceeded that today, in case you don't know. Jonah 3, 4 and 5 says, Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished, period. Message is over. And that's an awesome Sunday for you guys, isn't it? Not today. Then the people of Nineveh, verse 5 says, believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. One sentence, no sign, no wondrous work, no demonic exorcism. And what do the people do? They hear the word and they respond. They repent across the board, all social classes from the king on down. A sweeping move of the Lord to save people who he loved. The other story that Jesus reminds the crowd, takes them to, is the story of the queen of the south and Solomon. The queen was more than likely from Ethiopia, and 1 Kings 10 tells the story. Verses 1 through 9 in 1 Kings 10 says this, The queen of Sheba heard, from Solomon, heard about Solomon's fame, connected with the name of the Lord, and came to test him with difficult questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very large entourage, with camels bearing spices, gold in great abundance, and precious stones. She came to Solomon and spoke to him about everything that was on her mind. So Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too difficult for the king to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba observed all of Solomon's wisdom, the palace he had built, the food at his table, his servant's residence, his attendance service and their attire, his cupbearers and the burnt offerings he offered at the Lord's temple, it took her breath away. Verse 6, she said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your words and about your wisdom is true, but I didn't believe the reports until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, I was not even told half. Your wisdom and prosperity far exceed the report I heard. How happy are your men. How happy are these servants of yours who always stand in your presence hearing your wisdom. And then she says in verse 9, Blessed be the Lord your God. Blessed be the Lord your God. So she comes this really long distance wondering if what she's heard is true. She says, I, I didn't believe the, the reports, but now that I've seen with my own eyes and heard the words of wisdom, it leads to this moment of praise. Blessed be the Lord your God. Hearing the word doesn't lead her to ask for more signs, but it leads to worship-inducing belief. Jesus is contrasting here between belief and unbelief. The Ninevites, the queen of the south, they accepted the word of the messengers. They heard the word, and it led to life change. It led to repentance. It led to seeking after wisdom. And they are believing with less evidence than what the crowds have in front of them here in Luke 11. The crowds that are before Jesus, they're not rejecting the messenger. They're rejecting the Messiah himself right in front of them. They're blind to him, which is the next parable that Jesus goes to to help illustrate 
what it looks like to be spiritually blind or spiritually illuminated. Verse 33, no one lights a lamp and puts it in the cellar or under a basket, but on a lampstand so that those who came in may see its light. Your eye is the lamp of the body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is also full of light. But when it's bad, your body is also full of darkness. Take care then that the light in you is not darkness. If therefore your whole body is full of light with no part of it in darkness, it will be entirely illuminated as when a lamp shines its light on you. I walked in the kindergarten with glasses on. For as long as I can remember, my eyes have needed correction. Last fall, I ended up getting what's called ICL surgery, and so they implant permanent contact lenses in my eyeballs. My near vision, what they, what they found out about a month afterwards is that they had overcorrected my eyes slightly. So my near vision has struggled. And so this Friday, uh, the doctor is going to do LASIK surgery on my eyes to fine-tune the near vision, Lord willing. And uh, my first question to him was, is this part of the package? Is this... Uh, and he says, yes. I'm like, okay, then we'll do that. Otherwise, I'm going glasses. Um, so, uh, Lord willing, next Sunday, I'll be back preaching with uh, no glasses. Uh, I'm very guarded hope about it, but I am uh, praying that that will come to pass. Without correction, my eyesight is, is really bad. Prior to ICL surgery, if I'm going to tell the time in the morning, prior to me grabbing my giant glasses, it is like... Whoosh, Hold the phone right here. Okay, it's this time, all right? My eyes are not naturally healthy. They need help. But with help, they become healthy. And as a result, I'm able to perceive the world around me more accurately. Through our eyes, we not only perceive around us, but we receive. The eye affects the whole body. You could say that it's the gateway to the whole being. And naturally, apart from the grace of God, we don't accurately see life, let alone eternity. You could say our eyes are darkened. And yet what the Holy Spirit does with our eyes and hearts is illuminates us to the Lord's word of truth, pulls us from darkness, transfers us from darkness, and enables us to see Jesus for who he actually is and his good news. The crowds that Jesus is speaking to are blind to who he is. They are in the dark and missing him as the light of truth. And so as a result, their whole bodies, their lives are walking in darkness. But for the believer in Christ, the one whose eyes have been opened, illuminated, the one whose eyes perceive and receive Jesus as the very Son of God, sent to rescue us from our sin, light has filled our life. Think about it. Light is intended to go public. It's always intended to go public it's to be seen for the benefit of others. Fireworks get blasted into the sky. Already looking forward to July 2021. Fireworks get blasted into the sky to be seen. When the power goes out at your house, you don't run down to the basement, turn on the flashlight, and then walk upstairs, shut the door, and sit in darkness. If power were to go out here, safety lights, Lord willing, would kick on and show us where to go, especially with kids in the back. Whereas darkness conceals, light reveals and light heals. And the word of the Lord, the word that we hold on our laps, the word that is on our nightstand, on the shelf at home, is a lamp unto our feet. It reveals 
how to live in a way that would not only worship the Lord, but shine the Lord to the world around us. As one author put it, believers will be lights reflecting the rays of God's truth by the way we live. Reflecting God's truth, his, the rays of his light by the way we live. And in the Old Testament stories that Jesus references here, we see that to hear and keep the word, a.k.a. the blessed life, it results in repentance like the Ninevites. It results in seeking after wisdom like the queen from Ethiopia. See, there's a one-way gospel progression in the life of a follower of Jesus. We hear the gospel, we hear the word, which illuminates our lives. It actually leads to life change. We, obey, we keep the word, we obey the word, and as a result, our, our lives shine brightly for the Lord, for his glory alone. Brother and sister in the Lord, you have the light of Christ in you. And Jesus gives this charge here in this parable. Take care then. Take care then, he says, that the light in you is not darkness. Your translation may say, be careful. Be careful. Take care. Don't be careless about what you consume and take in with your eyes. The greatest way we can train our eyes to see what is truly bright and recognize what might appear bright but is actually dingy and dark underneath, the greatest way that we can train our eyes is to be in this life pattern of hearing and keeping the word. Hearing and keeping the word. To look upon the Lord and grow in our understanding of his greatness, glory, love, truth. The more we see Jesus for who he truly is, for who the Bible reveals him to be, the more we will, able, we will be able to discern what would lead toward darkness. Friends, is there something in your life that is clouding your vision of Jesus Christ? Inhibiting your view of the power and majesty of Jesus? Is it bitterness? Is it anger? Worry? Fear? Unbelief? Self-righteousness? Shame? What supposedly bright and shiny thing has your attention that is distracting you from what is truly bright, the light of the world? Greed, possessions, lust, envy. Jesus says, be careful, loved ones. Take care, loved ones. Be on guard by the grace of God, the power of the Spirit. May we continually be making progress in hearing and keeping the word. And as a result, flowing from that, we shine, we reflect the light of the world, Jesus Christ, and he is the one who gets the glory. He is the one who increases and we decrease because Jesus is still seeking and saving the lost in this world. And so we are called on a mission. And that mission begins with us hearing and keeping the word as a way of life. Psalm 19.8, the precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. Psalm 119.18, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Ephesians 1.18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Father, thank you for being a 
communicating God, a speaking God for not being silent. Thank you for giving us your word. I pray that we would be a people who would hear and receive and welcome the word of truth in our lives, that we would be a people who would, by your grace and by your spirit's power, keep, obey, align our lives to your word. That we would do that not to remain accepted by you, but because we are accepted by you, because we are loved, because we are saved by you. I pray that our lives would bear fruit and that fruit would bring you glory, that our our lives would reveal and shine who you are to the world around us, starting with those closest to us. We want to be a people who, who call you Lord, Lord, and do what you say. And we want it to be for your glory alone. So enable us to do that. We trust that you are more than able. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Psalm 19 in its entirety says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day they pour out speech. Night after night they communicate knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words, their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to the whole earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming from his home. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. It rises from one end of the heavens and circles to the other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord, of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them, there is abundant reward. Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen.